At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Today, we're going to be wrapping up a sermon series we began a few weeks ago called Mission Brief, as we've been walking through 2 Corinthians chapters 2 through 4. In these chapters, we have seen the, the mission that God has called us to. The Apostle Paul is briefing us on this mission. This is a mission where we follow Jesus. And as we follow him, we spread a knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. As we are, are like instruments dipped in the inkwell of the Spirit, being used of God to write his life-transforming words on the hearts and lives of men and women as a part of a new covenant ministry. And since we have been given this ministry, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. We've seen that in the first four weeks of the series. But today, we're going to be in part five of this series as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. Now, before we look at those verses together, I want to set the stage for our discussion. And I want to invite you to experience a little bit about what it's like to be in the Robinson's kitchen. Right? Now, I know you all came this morning really hoping you would find out what it's like to be in the Robinson's kitchen. So let me just paint you a picture. In our kitchen, there's a drawer. And in that drawer, there are a number of containers that look like this. How many of you have something like this in your kitchen? Right? Now, now these containers, I want you to know about these containers. These containers make real Tupperware look like fine china. Okay? Um, these containers are very cheap and disposable. As a matter of fact, this one right here, at one time, at one time, this was a lunch meat box that we bought at the store. You can tell by the label on the bottom. Most people discard them. We have kept it. Now, now, why have we kept an entire drawer full of containers that look like this? Because they are so valuable? Well, in a sense, right? In a sense. They're not valuable by themselves. If I gather all of them, some of them are circular, some of them are rectangular, you know, really exciting stuff. But if, if I were to take all of them and I were to put them on eBay collectively, the starting bid would be $1 and the reserve would not be met. They would not sell even for a dollar. But to us, they're, they're valuable. Now, why are they valuable? They're valuable not because of what they are. They're valuable because of what is in them. Now, if I'd really been thinking about this well and preparing this illustration, I would have had some nice brownies inside of one of these to open it up and say the treasure is on the inside. But you can put in your imagination whatever the snack is that you enjoy the most, whatever food that you love the most. But imagine that on the inside of this, suddenly this container is quite valuable, is it not? Not for what it is, but for what it contains. Now, friends, I tell you that today because we live in a world that values the container. We live in a world that wants to celebrate the container, specifically as it relates to our lives. We live in a world that so celebrates the individual that we say that the most treasured thing in the world is our desires, our happiness, that that is what this life is, is all about. But is it possible that those things that we want to treasure are nothing more than a container that might hold the true treasure. 
Friends, I would say that that's exactly the way that it is. What the scripture would say is that our lives are a container that hold the treasure of God's glory and his grace. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see it as we look at part five of this series in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 15, as we're reminded about what the true treasure is all about in this life. So if you've got a Bible, take it and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to read these verses for us, and then after I read them, we're going to back up and I'll make a couple of observations that will help to anchor these truths in our hearts and lives today. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now, friends, in these few verses today, I want us to see two things. One thing that has to do with today and another thing that has to do with tomorrow. Perspective that we need as we think about understanding where the true treasure is found. So what are those things? Well, the thing about today that we need to know has to do with treasure and clay. Treasure and clay. That's what we need to know today. Now, where do we see that? We see that in verse 7 that begins talking about the treasure. He says, we have this treasure. Now, what is the treasure that Paul is referring to? In order to answer that question, we need to look at the context. So let's back up one verse to verse 6 where he tells us what the treasure is. In verse 6, he says, for, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is the true treasure? The treasure is the glory of God that in God's creative work shines into the soul of people who are recreated, given new life in Christ. The glory of God shines into the container of our lives. Now, this is the true treasure. It is the real treasure. As Paul reminded the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2 in verse 3, where he talks about Jesus and he says, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The true treasure is found in the glory of God. The true treasure is found in the person of Jesus. And if we have trusted in Christ, those treasures reside in our lives as well. They are the treasure of God in the container of our lives. Not only that, but we saw in chapter 3, in verse 3, a number of weeks ago, that this treasure includes with it the presence of the Holy Spirit of God that is placed inside the soul of those who have trusted in Christ. 
That's where the true treasure is, not in the container of our lives, but in the Spirit of God that takes residence in our soul. So that Paul could even say to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2 that in Christ, we also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Where does God reside today? Not in a building in the Middle East, but God resides in the presence of followers of Jesus, where the Holy Spirit resides within us and among us as the presence of God in this world. Now, that is a remarkable thing for us to remember. What is the the true value? Where is the true treasure? Not in the container of our lives, but in the presence of the glory of God in the face of Christ that is found within the hearts and lives of believers. Now, when we remember that, it ought to cause us to, to, to begin to scratch our heads a bit. I mean, God has placed this most amazing treasure in us. I mean, really? In us? And why do we say that? We say that because our lives are, are, are problematic. Our lives are frail. Our lives have problems and struggle. How is it that God would take something so treasured and place it in us? Well, Paul talks about it. He says this treasure has been placed not in a container of gold or bronze, but it's been placed in a jar of clay. Now, what is a jar of clay? Well, it's a jar made out of clay. That's some exegesis for you uh, from the original language. No, what is a jar of clay? A jar of clay was a very common thing in the first century. It was the disposable Tupperware of the first century. It was something that was used knowing that it would not last forever, that it ultimately would break and and, and might not make it as an heirloom to pass on to your descendants. That's what a jar of clay was. It was something that wasn't going to live forever. And what what we see when we talk about the treasure is this treasure of God is placed in the lives of people who our physical bodies that we possess right now will not live forever. They are bodies that are frail and fragile and breaking. And that's how we were even designed. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man of what? Of dust, of clay, from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. But after sin has entered the world, our Our bodies are frail, our bodies are fragile, our bodies are containers that won't last forever. They are not the ultimate thing. Now, in order to illustrate that, we don't have to work very hard, do we? Let me just ask, this legit question, raise your hand if you can answer yes to this. How many of you have lost a loved one, a a family member, a friend who has passed away in the last year, just in the last 12 months? Many hands have gone up. If we extend that to five years, every hand probably has gone up. See, we we are reminded as we live out our lives that our, our lives are fragile, that they will not go on forever and ever. They're a container that one day will be placed in the ground. 
And when we think of our bodies and, and their capabilities, we're reminded of our limitations. Let me ask another question. How many of you have had some aches and pains as you have lived out your life over the last month? Okay, notice there are very few hands at the front. Y'all are just showing off now, all right? Y'all are just showing off. The rest of us, man, it hurts, right? I put both my hands up all the time, right? I've got, I've got pains in my life. Every time I, I bend down, my knees sound like they're going to explode at this point in my life. Um, see, we, we live in a jar of clay. We're reminded of it all the time. So, so why is it that, that God, out of all of the things, takes his glorious treasure and places it in jars of clay? Why is that? Well, the verse tells us, God does it this way to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Isn't that remarkable? God has placed his, his treasure, his glory, his spirit in jars of clay so that the surpassing power might be understood to be his and not ours. Now, as we begin to, to meditate on this, we, we need to realize what this is not saying. There is a, a trap that we might fall into when we read this, and that trap goes something like this. We think that it is saying God's power plus my power equals my superpower. In other words, God has a lot of power, I have a little bit of power, and together we can do great things. But that's not what the verse says, friends. The verse does not say God's power plus my power equals something special. What the verse says is this. It says God's power plus my weakness equals God's power. That's what it says. And friends, that's more than enough. More than enough. God's power, there, there is nothing that can add anything to it. He is omnipotent. And so when we think of, of, of what this verse is telling us, where God says, I am giving my great treasure, my glorious treasure. I am placing it inside of you. You are this, this container that, that houses my glory so that when all the world looks upon you, they might understand that I am great. And when you even reflect on your own life, you will remember how good God really is. Now, this idea is not just something that is mentioned in verse 7, but it's, it's expanded on in verses 8 and 9. Famous verses, but verse 7 helps us understand them. In verse 8 and 9, there's some contrasts that are given to life. The first set of, of contrasts have to do with things related to this, this life of clay, our limitations, the, the challenges of living in this world. Paul says, I'm, I'm afflicted. The word afflicted is, is another, another translation of that might be squeezed. How many of you feel squeezed in your life? Squeezed by the circumstances. Squeezed by the limitations of your finances or your health. Squeezed by the pressure of, of your job or vocation. Friends, Paul says, we who live in these jars of clay experience affliction. We feel the squeeze of life. We're perplexed. The jars of clay are perplexed. Anybody here ever had something they don't quite understand? Things that kind of outkick the coverage of your imagination? Things that we misunderstand? Paul says, as a jar of clay, there are things that we are perplexed by 
As a jar of clay, there is persecution that we experience inside of this world. Because of our connection to Christ, there are those that will reject us. This certainly is true of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, but it's increasingly true of people right here in our own city and country as well. Where walking with Jesus might mean losing a friend. Where walking with Jesus might be, mean some consequences at the Thanksgiving table with your family. Where walking with Jesus might lead to you being passed over for a job, promotion, or a job at all. See, friends, there are some challenges that we might experience in life, and it's a reminder that we are this jar of clay. We might be struck down, this, this idea of being knocked down. Imagine like a, like a fight. Anybody ever get knocked down? Circumstances come, and it's like a strong right hook that knocks you to the canvas. All of those things, Paul says, are, are reminders of this life that is lived in a jar of clay. But life is not just a jar of clay. There's something else. There's a treasure. And this treasure that is described says that though we are afflicted, we're not crushed. Though we are squeezed, we are not, as Merrill Tenney says, squished. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Why? Because the true treasure, the Spirit of God is empowering us from the inside out. Though we are persecuted, we are not left alone. Though we are hunted down, we are not forsaken. And though we are knocked down, though we are struck down, we are not destroyed, we are not knocked out. Friends, what Paul is reminding us is that our lives are lived in this paradox, lived in the paradox of being a jar of clay that is also containing the true treasure of God. He summarizes this whole idea with a, a couple of other thoughts that we'll see more in verses 10 to 12. He talks about the jar of clay and our experience there, and I think that's analogous to our experience of being related to the dying of Christ. And I say here intentionally dying, not death of Christ, because I think what Paul is referring to in these verses was the difficulty that came upon Jesus when he took on a human body. That because we too live in a human body, we have fellowship with the suffering of Christ. We have a connection to the dying of Christ because we also are a jar of clay, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. But he also says that not only do we have a fellowship, a connection with the dying of Christ because the treasure is there, we also have a connection with the life of Christ, the resurrected life of Christ. Paul says we have a connection to that as well. We have a fellowship with that as well. We have a hope for the future in that as well. Now, where do we see this? Well, we see this in verses 10 to 12, where Paul says this. He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The fact that we are a jar of clay becomes a beautiful black velvet canvas upon which the glory of the power of God might be seen by those around us. And Paul says, while we continue to trust Christ in the midst of jar of clay moments, we provide an opportunity for others to rejoice and see the resurrection 
life of Christ as well. That's what he says. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Now, this was something that was true of Paul. Paul was saying, because I am walking faithfully through this time of difficulty, you are praising God because of what he is doing in my life. That's what Paul said. But the same thing is also true for us today. You know, when I think about our experience here in, in, our, in our church, I think of a number of examples of people who have walked with God faithfully through very difficult jar of clay moments, times when they were knocked down, times when they were experiencing affliction, things that they're even going on right now. I, I was talking just, just this last week with one of our, our dear brothers here in the church who has experienced a number of health challenges so that he has been in the hospital and had a number of surgeries over a number of months. And he's dealing with pain and he's dealing with uncertainty and he's even looking another surgery in the face. And he said it was hard. And as, I, as he was describing this experience, I was thinking of this is a jar of clay moment. But then he said, but it has been wonderful for me to see God work in the midst of this time. And he was, has even been able to share his faith with the medical staff that has been helping him. And I heard this experience and I heard this story and I just began to praise God. Friends, this is the Christian life. Even when we experience death, we're reminded of life. Even when we are reminded of our jar of clay, we remember the treasure. This also helps us make sense of the experience of our missionaries around the world. You know, if, if, if life is ultimately about our comfort and, and our happiness and everything going well for us, if, if life is really about the container, why would anyone go and, and spend their lives living among the poorest people of the world, helping to plant a church and develop a written language in a people that have no written language? Why would anyone choose to do that if the true riches were just our bodies and our experience and our wealth? No one would make that choice. But people who make that choice have an understanding that there is a greater treasure, there is something better to live for than just our comfort, and that is the glory of God. And so they take a step and they locate themselves among this people group sharing the gospel and seeing even the first known person from that people group place their faith and trust in Christ. Friends, those kinds of actions follow an understanding that our lives are a container. The treasure is the glory of God. So are we remembering our treasure that's in this jar of clay? A few questions to ask. What do you treasure most? What do you treasure most Yourself or the Savior? The jar or the treasure in the jar? Be honest. What matters most to you? It's an important question. It really helps us divide and organize our life. What is most important? Paul would say the true treasure is found in what is in the jar, not the jar itself. The treasure is in the Savior. The treasure is in the glory of God. Live for that, not for us. Second thing, will you die to self? Will you die to self? You know, if we were to, to make a change and to walk away, we do that assessment and we say, you know, really, I'm, I'm valuing the jar and not the treasure. How do I make this change? Well, we need to 
begin by dying to ourselves. There's a, uh, one of the great heroes of the faith, a man by the name of George Mueller, who lived in the 19th century, and he took care of orphans in Bristol, England. A remarkable biography, if you ever want to read a biography of a, of a dear Christian brother from a, from a prior generation. Um, but one of the things that, that Mueller did um, was, you know, he, he was used of God to minister to, to many, many people and, and to trust God for great, great things. And someone came to Mueller and said, you know, what is the secret to your success and to your ministry? And, and Mueller's response was interesting. This is what he said. He said, there was a day that I died the day I died to George Mueller. He understood, I'm not going to live for me, but I'm going to live for the glory of God. And we're still talking about him today. Friends, are we willing to die to ourselves, to live for something more? Third, remember the gospel is stylish in all seasons. You know, sometimes we begin to think that this church stuff is is only fashionable when everything's going well. You know, when, when things are going well, I'll go to church. When things are going well, um, I'll, I'll, I'll read the Scripture. When things are going well, I'll pray. When things are going well, I'll lean on God. But the reality is from this verse, we find out that even in moments of being knocked down, even in moments of being persecuted, even in those moments, even especially in those moments, we turn to Christ we cling to him because against that black canvas of our jar of clay, the glory of God so clearly shines. Three things to remember as we think about the treasure in the clay. But I, I said at the beginning, we're going to look not just at today, but we're also going to look at tomorrow. We're going to look ahead at a perspective we need to have about tomorrow or even the day after tomorrow as we think about eternity. And so Paul shares with us a perspective, and he, he does so reminding us of resurrection and glory, of resurrection and glory. Now, we see this as we look at verse 13. Paul says in the, in the beginning of verse 13, it's kind of a confusing statement that he makes. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. Now, what was Paul talking about when he said that? Well, really, what he was talking about was he was using kind of a, a first century shorthand to refer to a famous work. In a day before, you know, footnoting, he could reference a part of an ancient work, a part of an ancient letter, and when he would reference that, it would remind his readers of the entire work, the entire body. So when, when Paul here says, I believed and so I spoke, he is referencing a part of an ancient book. Now, now which ancient book is he referencing? I know what some of you really smart people are going to say. He's referencing the Bible. That's true, but, but what part of the Bible? He's actually referencing a psalm. He's quoting Psalm 116. And Psalm 116 was a psalm that David wrote. And David wrote it after he believed that, that, that God had saved his life from certain death. And what David said is, believing that God has, has saved my life from certain death, I can't help but talk about it. I can't help but write about it. I can't help but sing about it. If God had rescued David, David was going to tell us about it. And what Paul is saying is, he says, just as that was true for David, it's also true for me. Now, in what way was it true for Paul? Was he talking about a physical 
earthly deliverance. Paul certainly had some of those. I don't think so. Because look at what he says. He's talking here about an an eternal perspective. He's talking here about the resurrection from the dead. He says, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Speak about what? Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. What was he saying? Well, he he was saying here, that he believed that God raised Jesus from the dead, that Jesus was risen, he was not retired. And Paul said, because I've trusted in Christ, the same God that raised Jesus is gonna raise me. My savior is in heaven and I'm just one step behind him. And not just me, Paul says, but, but all of you who have trusted in Christ. That perspective totally transformed the way that Paul lived his life. You see, if it was only for this life that Paul was living, then he might have been tempted to live for earthly pleasure. But understanding that all of our experiences of this life are are within the margin of error compared to our experience in eternity, Paul says, I'm going to live for that day, not for this one. I'm going to live for tomorrow, not just today. I'm going to live with a knowledge of the resurrection, not just a pursuit of pleasure now. That's what, that's what Paul says. But then he goes on and he, he says, not just for the resurrection am I gaining encouragement, but also he says, it's, it's for God's glory that I'm gaining encouragement. He says, for it is for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What's Paul saying there? He says, why am I continuing to talk about this? Well, first of all, God has raised me from, from the dead. He's, he's promised me eternity. I can't help but sing about it. I can't help but talk about it. But I'm also going to share it even with those who have not yet trusted in Christ because I want them to be around the throne of God one day singing praise and glory to God. That was motivating for Paul. Paul says, I want God to be glorified by all of you. So I'm gonna share this message with you that your lives might be changed and that you might spend an eternity with God in heaven. Why do we engage in, in world missions? Why do we engage in, in what God is doing, reaching out into our community and, and, and churches being planted and movements on college campuses around the country? Why do we care about such things? Because they're opportunities for God to be glorified by people coming into relationship with Christ and knowing that they will be able to honor him forever and ever and ever in his presence. And so in light of tomorrow, how do we live? In light of tomorrow, how do we live? Well, a few things. First one, do you think about tomorrow? Do you think about tomorrow? Now, the reality is all of us think about tomorrow. So let me ask a better question. Do you think about the day after tomorrow? Not tomorrow like next week, but tomorrow like eternity. Do you think about that? See, the reality is that most of us, when we think about tomorrow, we, we, we stop at retirement age. We stop at retirement age. But there's actually a day after that where we will spend much more time and it should be the thing that helps order our days. Kent Hughes says this. This is very small print, but I wanted to have this on one slide. So bear with me as I read this for us. Um, it says, he says, how and in what terms we conceive of the future is a decisive question. For most Christians, the contemplation of retirement trumps the contemplation of their ultimate destiny. For most, eschatology, the study of last things, is defined by a single word, 
retirement. Far more energy and thought is given to enhancing the health and wealth of the final 20 years of earthly existence than to eternal existence. Clearly, we're called to focus on future resurrection and exaltation if we have any desire to live as we ought. How are your futures? As to retirement, it's not a matter of whether you're saving for retirement. It's a matter of whether you're living for retirement. Certainly, we ought to be prudent, but what folly to spend all our energies investing in this world just so that we can have a brief stay in leisure world. Friends, are we thinking about tomorrow? And are we thinking about the day after tomorrow? knowing that we will spend an eternity someplace, are we allowing that to prioritize our understanding of life today so that we might live, as he says, as we ought? Well, as you begin to think about that idea, are you living in light of that day after tomorrow? Are you spending your time now following Christ, trusting him even in hard times, sharing him even in difficult moments? so that those around you might come to know who Christ is, partnering together as a church, maybe going, maybe sending, maybe giving, so that the gospel might go to the ends of the earth, so that God might be glorified even more with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. All of our students are wearing these shirts, go and tell, go and tell. Why do we go and tell? We go and tell that God may be glorified. Are you living today in light of tomorrow? And are we spreading the aroma of Christ everywhere we go? Up and down the halls of your high school, through the dorm floor, through the workplace, through your family. Everywhere you go, is the aroma of Christ spreading through you. You see, Paul writes to brief us on our mission so that we would understand what life was all about and so that we would live our lives according to the true treasure. Not live for the container, but live for what is in it. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just this chance to be together, this chance to open your word and to read it and to be encouraged by it today. Lord, thank you that um, you have given passages like this to help us make sense of just the, the frailty and difficulties of our lives. Lord, that these cracks in the, in the clay become fissures through which your light can shine. Lord, may, may we be a people who understand that, who walk faithfully with you, remembering eternity, and walk faithfully with you now that, that more and more people might sing your praise and give you glory. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. 